You know, many combat veterans and first responders struggle with post-traumatic stress, and we both have been there ourselves. However, our worst traumatic experiences were childhood and civilian lives. If you suffer from anxiety, depression, or emotional distress, you're not alone. And many of us are jammed up emotionally on some level, and all we want to do is set you free. Thank you for joining us on the Anxiety Guys podcast, where we are leading the emotional revolution. Join us and discover how you can feel the heal. So today's guest, I'm pretty excited about. Um, Rick Brown is with the Pacific Institute. Uh, Nick Davis is also here with me. And we're going to be talking about their mission at the Pacific Institute and the the gold nuggets that he's got for you guys, because, you know, we've sent quite a few of our coaches through the Pacific Institute. Nick and I have both been through it. We did a podcast, you know, talking in detail about this organization. So, um, Rick, thank you and welcome. Well, thanks, guys. I'm really glad to be here. I'm really uh, very uh, excited about your mission and what you guys are doing. And we're so glad to be able to be of help with you over the past couple of years and your mission, too. And uh, obviously, our missions match in helping people improve their lives through their mindset. And uh, so really glad to be associated with you guys. Well, we're we're grateful that you're taking the time to to share with our audience uh, your guys' mission. So, Rick, if you don't mind, just kind of give us a little backstory, how you got involved with the Pacific Institute, how long you've been involved, you know, maybe talk about some of the foundation of the organization and just kind of let people know, you know I'd say on the front end, how they could, you know, reach out to you guys sure. as well. Well, thanks, Dan. Yeah, the Pacific Institute was founded in 1971 by Lou and Diane Tice in Seattle, Washington, and the the basic premise was the psychology of how you think in your your um, your your day to day self talk. Uh, how do you deal with issues that come up? Uh, self esteem, self image psychology, and he designed a program that became very successful in helping uh, young uh, high school football players. And then he expanded it into other athletes. Then he expanded it into schools. Then eventually into the military, into the prison system, into the Fortune five hundred and into the professional and college sports world. Because once people understand how their minds work, they can achieve greater things and get out of their own way. So I got involved with the Institute back, um, I actually got involved with goal setting right out of high school. Uh, when I came out of, um, out of high school, we had a, a family that was uh, had been through some trauma. My father had been uh, sent away for drug and alcohol abuse and was in a Maryland institution for 18 months. And uh, my brothers were in foster homes, and I was kind of on my own out there as a junior in high school. And we had a very happy ending. My dad got out and got introduced to goal setting, got clean and sober, and changed our lives and his lives. But he used to have us sit around and listen to uh, uh, albums about goal setting and vision building and self-esteem and self-image. And he really changed our lives and changed his life. So it was about eight years later. And I met Lou Tice at a conference. He was speaking in front of a couple thousand people. And uh, his his speaking was all about what I had been living and been introduced to. And he had a way to present it that could be replicable, that could be, you know, dealt out for hundreds of thousands of people. So I became a trainer for the Pacific Institute as I did my real estate career uh, through the 70s and through the 80s. And then in the 90s, Lou Tice uh, my development company had gone out of business. We were subject to the, uh, the recession of 90. And Lou and Diane offered me a job to work for the company full time. So I did. I joined the Institute. I worked for six years full time, uh, spreading this information out. And as you guys remember, one of my big clients was the United States Naval Academy. And I did all the training for all the athletes there for about six years. So I would have. Um, the basketball, the football, the lacrosse, the the, the crew guys, uh, uh, baseball, all the athletes here. And we had a chance to work with them on their vision and goals and not just to succeed in sports, but obviously to help them academically, but also help them personally. Uh, everybody has issues, uh, whether it's anxiety, depression, uh, you know, situations people come from. So we were able to have a great impact with these wonderful uh uh, servicemen and women at the Naval Academy. So I then went back to the real estate business in 96. My sons were growing up. I wanted to be off the road and I decided to go back to work in the development business. So I, I did, I started a real estate development company, but over the years I would keep, I would do a class or two for kids. 
just as my kind of my my you know my gift to, to to the community. So I knew the institute. I kept in touch. I would work with high school athletes and as a, just an adjunct to get introduced to how their minds work. And um, so you know, it was the next twenty years I spent as a real estate developer, and it was just about three years ago I was facing retirement. Decided that I really didn't want to retire. I wanted to find a new thing to do in my life and decided that I would go back and work with the Pacific Institute. So past three years now, Dan, Nick, I've been doing this work for uh, primarily a lot of high school athletes, college athletes, uh, some some uh, uh, PTSD, uh, the Montgomery County Police Department, uh, some real estate companies. But, but, but the work that's most fun is to help watch a, uh, a, a young uh, high school or college athlete understand that how their minds work and starting a new program again this year with the Towson University football team. I did their their team a couple of years ago. We had 85 uh, college athletes and I did the men's and women's golf teams. I facilitated for the women's basketball team. And what I found, Dan, was uh, even a college athlete on a Division One scholarship still suffers like the, the rest of the people out there with anxiety, depression, challenges in their family, challenges in their lives. And uh, I was so grateful to see comments from some of our students that, thank you, Mr. Brown, you helped me deal with my depression. You helped me deal with my anxiety. And, uh, you know, it's it's just, it's still, it's a tough issue, even with, you know, high-performing athletes. Mike, well, Michael Phelps, you know, serious depression. And here he is, a gold medal athlete. So, so the idea is that the work you guys are doing, the work we're doing, it helps everybody. It's not just helping your our PTSD uh, veterans. I'm a veteran, uh, never faced combat, but I was in the U.S. Army Reserves. Uh, and everyone goes through these issues. Everyone has these issues. So how can we help them? That's what we're doing. That's what you're doing. And so I'll, I'll stop with that and just uh, let you guys ask me some questions. Of Maybe we'll talk about the core of the curriculum in a few minutes. But, uh, you know, that's my, that's my background and how I got started with this. Good stuff. It's always nice to know where somebody comes from and what gets you to where you're at. The road that the road that we go down is often uh, pretty twisty and turny and lots of ups and downs and bumps. And it's funny how two people that come from completely different worlds can end up in the same place. I mean, you know, Dan, he, he, he grew up, you know, licking gum off his shoes and I was the smart kid in school. And here we are, same guys working to get, not really. No, Dan actually is academically, Dan's a lot smarter than I am, but um, it's really neat. I mean, our ages are all different. You know, we're kind of all maybe not even a full generation removed from each other, but we, we all kind of grew up in a different, okay, Dan grew up really in the eighties. I grew up really in the nineties, even though I was born in the seventies. I still like to say that I was born there. Um, it, it's really neat to see how that all comes together and our work mirrors each other. I think the thing that Dan and I say a lot of times with our work and, and specifically in how we deal with acute trauma and and negative emotions, like those severe negative emotions is we've kind of got away from the term help for us because our processes, we, we've seen it with the brain scans that we do and we know the work we do. Not that help's a bad word, but w with our specific spot, it's we heal it. The, the unique thing is what I see with the RAS and what we've seen with you guys is you could be somebody that's pessimistic, never going to be able to make it on time. I can't do this. I can't do that. You can flip that script. So in my mind, you can heal the person's RAS. Not, not doesn't mean it's a little bit different, but you know where I'm going with this because I used to think if you're a pessimist, you're a pessimist. If you're an optimist, you're an optimist. It's total BS. You know, any Dan Dan says this really well. He always articulates it better than I do. But all behavior is learned, and any learned behavior can be unlearned. And that's outside of the trauma. That's not necessarily learned. That's experienced and gets stuck in the wrong spot. But the emotions and with what you do. Um, go ahead, Dan, you want to chime in on that one? Yeah, just wanted to get Rick's perspective on the reticular activating system because, you know, I've I've heard about that, but it was really the work that we did with you guys that it really was like, oh, wow, that's that's so cool. You know, um, so just yeah. give our audience a little bit of rundown of what the reticular activating system does and how maybe they can make some changes sure, to Dan. it. Well, you know, um, everybody I ask people, uh, you know anybody who's lucky? And they all, yeah, I know somebody who's lucky. Yeah, they're always getting there. Everything comes their way. They're, everything they touch. Well, you want to understand why people are lucky, how they're lucky? Well, uh, Dr. Albert Bandura from Stanford University 
spent uh, 10 years doing a thesis on luck. And what he discovered at the heart of his work was that luck is summed up by using appropriately your reticular activating system. And for those who don't know, uh, this is an actual uh, filter at the base of your brain. This is biological. This isn't uh, you know, psychological. This is biological. You have a filter system. It protects you. Uh, there are two things that become conscious to your conscious mind. Your reticular activating system only lets in two things, things that are of threat, things that are of benefit. So what's of threat? Well, in our early days, we know threats were animals coming after us, and, you know, and now the, the threats are you know, the things in our environment and our life. And the value of uh, what's a benefit to us is what we choose to be a benefit, what's important to us, what gets through to my conscious mind. And uh, so, you know, the heart of goal setting, uh, I like to talk about car parking karma. You know, I ask people, how many of you have parking karma? Well, what's that? Well, do you get parking spaces right up front? No, I always go to the garage. Well, I'm, I happen to be one who's parking karma, meaning that I just simply know in my mind and I'm good at getting parking spaces. So when I'm going into Georgetown, I'm looking for people walking out of stores with boxes. I'm looking for people with headlights going off in the back. I'm looking for people reaching in their pockets for keys. I'm looking in the environment to see what may be of value to me, a parking space. Where others who are saying, well, I'm not good at it, I, they go right to the garage, they may drive right in front of a parking spot. Well, the same thing is applicable for goals in your life and getting things you want to get done, is you see what you choose to see. You become uh, conscious of a goal setting, you're going to be much more likely to see it because it's going to be around in your environment. So the reticular activating system, we couldn't possibly absorb everything coming into our environment at every one time. The noise from outside, thunderstorms, fire engines, police cars, birds going by, you, you couldn't concentrate. So your reticular activating system lets you only see things that are important to you, things that are of value and things that are of threat. So it is an actual biological term, Dan. Uh, once you understand it, this is the heart of setting a vision and a goal, uh, what comes through to my conscious mind, things that I am looking for. You know, I tell people, look around the room right now, and you can do it around your room and look for anything in your room that's blue. And you start to look around. Wow. A lot more blue things than I thought. There's a pen hanging on the wall. and But you didn't need it until I asked you to look around for the things that are blue. Well, same thing in your life for goals. What do you want to have happen in your life? The more conscious you are of what you want, the more you're able to find it. It seems pretty simple, uh, and it is pretty simple, but it's the heart of, of, uh, of uh, you know getting things done in your life, achieving what you want to achieve is having the vision of what's important to me first. So that's, that's a, just give you a little, is that a, a good explanation for you, Dan, of the reticular activating system? Yes, yeah, it's a great explanation. And, and for the record, one of the exercises we did in the training with you was the yellow SUVs. And I saw yellow SUVs for about six <laughs> months after we did the training. Yeah. And I was like, I got to get this out of my brain because every time I turn around there, it was. Yeah. But yeah, and and I always I always give the story as a police officer you get the bolo comes out, the be on lookout, the alert tone goes off. There's a red Ford Mustang involved with a crime. And next thing you know, where the heck did all these red Ford Mustangs yep, come from? Yep. Because they weren't there five minutes ago. But now all of a sudden, you know, that that's that filter turning on. So it's, it's pretty fascinating. Nick, you want to add anything? It, yeah, it was actually funny when I didn't go through one of the sessions that Dan was on with you guys. And he's like, dude, this stuff's awesome. So- and, and to set this up, I, I want to back up a little bit. When I'm hearing Rick explain the RAS, I know there's people that are going to hear this and be like, come on, like, really? Or they're the negative Nancy, or they're the ones that are um, what we call out of fact, or they got their RAS pegged for the negative. If it's if your RAS can be pegged for that, why can't it pe be pegged the other way? It's just like anything else, it's habit. So where I was going to go with that is multiple people in our circle that took the training said to me, they're like, Nick, you could teach this stuff. And I was like, no, 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 no. Nick lives it, but I can't teach it. Like what you guys do is gold. And it's funny because when I was, I think it was Trisha that might've said that to me, Dan called me up and he's like, dude, he's like, all right, I'm going to give you an example. You're driving down the highway. 
And if you make it to the destination, you get a million dollars and you come to a traffic jam. What do you think? And I was like, well, I'm immediately going to be looking for whatever exit, even if I got to go off road to get to it. Even if I got to get a cop mad at me to follow me, like to clear the path, I will find a way to get there. I, so I explained this whole thing and he's like, that's what I'm talking. Like, I was like, damn, I'm screwed. And my brain immediately was, I'll find a way. I, I'm going to cut here, do that. You know, I'll fake my death so the ambulance has to pick me up and rush me downtown. <laughs> like, I'll do something. I'll make it happen. And people say that to me all the time. You got a golden horseshoe, you know, or, you know, you're, you're lucky. And I always say I'm blessed because, you know, for me, I think it's all God given. But reality is my Raz is definitely pegged to the positive. And I think that when we start fixing the funk for people and we watch people who might have trauma or deep rooted, heavy negative emotions, you see them free up. So then the Raz, the, the training that you're talking about, they're very much more open and receptive to it from our side of the fence. So it really becomes synergistic in how we can get people there. And, and it's so key what you do. I love well, it. You know, the key to, to the whole thing is what do you say to yourself, your self-talk? Remember, there's 50,000, 60,000 thoughts a day we all have. And what do you say to yourself when you fail? What do you say to yourself when you succeed? And so if I didn't get a parking space, somebody might say, oh, there I go again. Always the same thing. I never get parking spaces. You talk yourself out of it. So what you say is you turn it around and go, I didn't get one this time, but next time I'm going to get one. Well, it's the same concept with getting job opportunities, get, getting where you want to go in life, getting the opportunities out there that, that are that may, maybe you thought had been closed. So the self-talk, you know, the reticular activating system is a biological, physical action. But how do you talk to yourself? It's so critical. that That's why we preach and we have a whole session on self-talk and we give you the exercise of no negative self-talk for 24 hours. You'd be surprised how many people can't do that. You know, when I started with my football team last year, I had 85 kids, right? And I start off with these, you know, 18 to 20-year-olds and I go, you know, I know a little bit about each of you. Oh, you do, Mr. Brown? Yeah, what do you? I said, you talk to yourselves a lot, don't you? Oh, yes, Mr. Brown. I said, well, let me ask you this question. If you had a friend who talked to you the way you talk to yourself sometime, would they still be your friend? Oh, no, Mr. Brown, no, no way. Okay, well, that stops today, okay? So you have to stop with the negative self-talk. You have to turn that around. That's, that's really the start of everything, you know? What do I say to myself when I fail? What do I say to myself when I succeed? And so we learn and train. That's not like me. I don't, you know, I do it this way. Yes, next time I'll do it that way. But, you know, I've had, uh, like you guys, I haven't done the amount of work that you have but uh, with veterans, but, you know, I've had some experience with some PTSD veterans, and one of them, I, Dan knows this story. I had a, a captain, at, a retired captain, uh, at, a, uh, at a session at a dinner at Congressional Country Club, and uh, I was with a retired general, female, and a retired captain. And the general and I started talking about our friend Bern Lefke, General Lefke, who was one of my mentors. And, and she said, what do you do? I told her, she says, well, the woman on your right is still suffering from severe PTSD. She's been out for two years. So I kind of meandered over and managed to sit with her at dinner and ended up talking to her. And at the end of the meal, everybody had gone. And I said, Captain, do me a favor, get out a piece of paper. I want you to write down the three best things you've ever done in your life. Uh, she started crying. She couldn't think of one good thing she'd ever done in her life. I said, Captain, you were in the shirt. You commanded a company. You 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 did two tours in Afghanistan. You've been, you know, helped in your community. You helped your so she couldn't think of any good things she'd ever done. So she started writing them down. She got three or four. I said, now write some more. And then she started writing some more. And all of a sudden the reticular activating system opened up in her mind of things she had done well in her life. And I said, now, here's what I want you to do. When you go home tonight, I want you to write down the three best things that happened to you today. It doesn't have to be major. It doesn't have to be a big deal. But I want you to do that for a week and then give me a call. So all I did was have her start thinking about the things she'd done well in her life. And I said, now, every day, you guys know this exercise, write down the three best things that happened to you each day for a week. Call me. So she calls me a week later. Mr. Brown, you won't believe what's going on in my life. Well, I think I will. Cap, try me. Oh, well, I got into Walter Reed. I got somebody to lend me a car, so I go for a job interview. I got to see the, the doctor that put me off. And I said, isn't that amazing? 
And she says, yeah, you know, those three best things at night, they really help me sleep better too. I said, good, Gab. So keep it up and let's keep in touch. So it's so simple. And that's, I'll leave, you know, give as a message uh, to the participants here today is that is so simple to do and so powerful for you or for those in your life, your spouses, your teenagers. Most kids go to sleep at night thinking where they messed up, where they uh, got a bad grade or where they dropped the pass or they got scolded or yelled at. You got to flip that switch because remember, if you've ever woken up in the morning at 6 a.m. with I got it or 5 a.m., you wake up out of bed, I got the answer. Where did that come from? You were sleeping. Well, your subconscious works 24-7. So you want to program it before you go to sleep at night for positive things. You got eight hours of sleep, your body's working. Your mind's working. So it's a simple exercise. It's a powerful one. Uh, whether they're, they're 13 years old or they're 53 years old, it, it's a great exercise to spread along. So that's a long answer to your question, but it, it combines two things, the self-talk and how powerful that is, and and then the, the, the reticular activating system about looking for the things you want to have happen in your life, looking for the positive, much more likely to find it. So you, you specifically said a couple of things that I want to kind of circle back to. One, she couldn't even think of any of the good things that she'd experienced Correct. until she opened up that RAS. So we call those blind spots. Yes, sir. That, Absolutely. Uh, yes. So go go into go into how blind spots work with people. Well, that's you know we don't have our uh, our little card here to explain scotomas in more depth, but what happens is based on your conditioning, you are conditioned to see things a certain way. It's basically the heart of racism, discrimination. You know, you're raised in an environment, whether it's from your parents or your classmates or uh, bullies on the street or whatever. You you pick up this self-talk about beliefs about certain people, certain things, things you can do, things you can't do. And, uh, and you know, understanding that you have blind spots. You know, oh, I was, you know, Let's say in third, fourth grade, you had an embarrassing situation in front of a show and tell, and that's stuck in your mind. And now you're, you know, 24 years old and you're uncomfortable getting up and speaking in front of groups. Why? Because of an experience that happened 20 years ago. You know, so you have to go back and think about that. Where am I blind spot? Where am I not seeing things that, that I could see differently? Be open to other people. I tell the story, Mike, Mike Krzyzewski, one of the greatest basketball coaches, at timeouts, he goes to his five coaches. He doesn't go to the players. He goes over to the other four guys, say, hey, what am I not seeing here? What are you seeing? You know, what? Where, where's my blind spot here? I, I'm not, what can we do? So the idea is to be open-minded to having feedback and help from other people. You know, what am I not seeing here? You know, I'm not stupid. I could see this. Obviously, we don't have that little exercise. We have an exercise we use, but scotomas are just blind spots that have been created by your own beliefs that you can't see or can't find or can't see an answer that may exist. So the goal is to be open-minded to what am I not seeing here? Don't be so stuck. No. That What you just shared as well was really good framing on your part. I, when you hit on the uh, a piece there, I was like, man, that's really good framing because she couldn't find anything good. I'd, I'd worked with a veteran who uh, th- nothing good had ever happened. And when I, I, I said, well, okay, let's say today was the best day of your life. What would today look like? Well, I'd be back in the army. I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, I'd be back in the army. I'd be leading my guy. I said, so you've already done that stuff before, right? Yes. Yeah, so weren't those good days? If you want to go back to those, those are your best days. Wouldn't you want to say those? Holy cow. It's amazing what people can't see. And it's just sometimes the framing or the question that all of a sudden can create a whole different path and trajectory. Yeah, and I know you had more yeah. you wanted to ask yeah. there. Sorry, I jumped out on you. Well, no, I mean, I, I, I'm i kind of on the flip side of that whole negative self-talk. I mean, when you met me, I was in a different headspace. <laughs> a much different headspace. Take your hat off for it. Take the hat off. Let's see the head. Holy, it's look at the big, amount of space in that it's head. It's a big dome. It's, it's like a planet. Oh, yeah. my God. But the, um, the negative self-talk for me was constant. Like, literally, it was a constant. And- I took an NLP training, and that's when I first started learning about cause and effect. You know, cause means you're responsible for your actions. You take control of your life. Effect means you're blaming somebody else. You're blaming circumstances. You're blaming anything but you. So you're giving away all of your power and control. 
similar in, in nature. And when I realized that you could change that, it was like a, almost like that blind spot was kind of removed. Now it did take me a lot of time to actually get rid of most of those negative self-talks, but, um, but yeah, negative self-talk will keep you literally anchored to wherever you are. You're yep. stuck. You're not moving. You're not growing. You're not progressing. Um, but I want to go into the other part is that subconscious you were talking about. And we know of conscious and unconscious thought or our brains, the, the unconscious brain is the powerhouse. <laughs> but I didn't never heard of the term creative subconscious until I did the training with you guys. And I found that extremely fascinating. So tell the audience a little bit about how that creative subconscious works. Okay. Well, you know, we have, we have three parts to our brain. They say conscious mind, subconscious, and then the creative subconscious. The conscious mind takes all things in. It perceives, associates, evaluates, store, it keeps, you know, takes everything in. The subconscious stores it all. Everything you've ever read, seen, heard is stored in your subconscious. It's amazing how much is there. Your creative subconscious is then powered to keep you like you know you are. So if you know that you are a certain weight, let's say, and you happen to be little, you know, have some extra workout that week or two, been cutting back on the alcohol, whatever, and you've lost some pounds, and, and you, you you get on the scale and, hey, you're five pounds lighter than you were. And you go, hey, that's pretty cool. Now, your, subcon- your creative subconscious goes, oh, yeah, wait till I get you in front of that refrigerator tonight with that chocolate cake sitting there, right? So yeah, so practice is really good at getting you back to where you know you belong. So the, the key is to change where you know you belong. So you got to change that that goal, that weight number. Your creative subconscious is very good. Let's say I used to say people are, they know they're a B student in class and they take their first exam of the year in, in school and they get an A. So what happens if you know you're a B student and you get an A on the first test? Well, your creative subconscious goes, hey, man, I can cruise, man. I can get a D on the next one. I'm still going to get my B. So you kind of cruise along. Your subconscious, creative subconscious says, hey, I got this nailed. But what happens if you got a D on that first exam? Well, your creative subconscious goes, wait a minute, that's not like you. You're a B student. You got to get a tutor. You got to get some extra notes. You got to meet with the professor. You got to find a study companion. So we find that our creative subconscious keeps you like you know you are. It's also, Dan, it's like an autopilot on a boat. Let's say you're on a boat and you've got the autopilot on going north and you're cruising along, fishing off the back. Everything's fine. You're going north. But you decide you want to go east. So you go up and you grab the steering wheel and you turn it to the east. Now, what's going to happen after a few minutes? You're going to drift drift back back north. north because you didn't change the autopilot. You changed, you forced right. the boat to go to the east with your steering. You grabbed it and steered. You overrode it, right? But what happens if you let it go? Go back to the old way. Same thing with you. You know, what is the, the vision of where I want to be in my weight, my income, my job, my impact, community? What are the things I want to do or get done? What's important to me? How I act, how I think, how I talk, beliefs. You've got to change that on the subconscious. You can't just override it consciously because you're going to go back to the old way. That's why weight loss doesn't work. It's a $50 billion scam in America. Weight loss techniques and, you know, uh, all the diets and all that stuff, they got to they got to start on the impact of the brain first. Otherwise, you're just going to go back to the same old routines. So that that's really, you know, the kind of heart of it. Uh, you got to change on the inside before you can change on the outside. Does that make sense? So, yeah, it makes perfect sense. What technique do you guys use to help people start to transform that creative subconscious? Like if, say somebody's wanting to be better with money or something, but they're terrible with money. How how would you convince them to change that creative subconscious so that their body automatically or the brain automatically drifts towards that end goal? I guess this is probably goal setting. The, the heart of it is obviously the start of it is why do they want to do, do they really want to do that? I mean, is it something they want to do? They have to have the why, you know, have to have the why to make it important in their life. But we start with the pattern of affirmations, written affirmations, which are, which are patterned to make the change on the subconscious. So that's why we write an affirmation as it's easy for me to maintain my finances. I'm, I always have money in the bank and it makes me proud. 
Okay, now you write that out, right? And then you read it at night and you go, that ain't, that's something to me. I haven't looked at my bank account lately, you know? But that's what you're trying to do is change on the subconscious level first so that you're more aware of as things come down the line, as you, you resist that impulse buying, you set a goal for saving, you know, you could do the balance wheel around your financial impact. But the key is to start to change on the subconscious. And you're, you're trying to trick your subconscious. It's easy for me to save money. Or it's easy for me to be calm and poised in moments of stress. And you ain't not at all right now. But you start reading that over a period of time, you know, once in the morning, once in the evening, and over a period of weeks, you'll notice yourself change. And maybe you don't even notice yourself change, but others around you might see yourself change. Dan, I noticed you were really calm when that thing happened and, you know, this thing blew up and you seem to have a real calmness about you. That, that's, that's not the Dan I knew a while ago. What are you, what's going on? You know, people start to see the changes because you're doing it on a subconscious level. So you've got to write the affirmations out. Remember the way you want it to be. You know, I, I tell people in, in any situation, uh, whatever your problem is, whatever your stress is, what would it be like if it was perfect? Well, my teenage son and I would be best friends. What's your situation now? We're stressed. We don't we don't get along too well. What would it be if it was perfect? My son and I would be best friends. We'd always have a nice chat at the end of the day. Now you got to work on that. You got to write that out. And here's what happened to me when I when I found that. I mean, I was actually doing that years ago, and uh, my kids were big fans of uh, of The Simpsons, and uh, I used to thought that was just a butt jokes and kind of crappy and you know, not a lot of fun. I read an article in the New Yorker that said that the Simpsons was the most important show of the 20th century, the best and most important show of the 20th century. And I said, what? And I read this article and I thought, wow, people are having conversations around issues. So I started watching the Simpsons so I could have, have a conversation with my son. Hey, Max, how about that with this? So I, I, bond, I became bonded with him on an interest he had. I didn't have an interest at the time. I developed a little interest. But the point is that I wanted to become a, a better friend of my to my son. I needed to get on his side. What was of interest to him? What did he want to do? Then I could open up the conversations about vision and goals. So um, that's a long answer, but but I but I but I wanted to you know share with you that write the affirmations out. Think of the way things are. How do I really? What would be perfect? My son, I'd be better. Okay, write that affirmation out. How does it make you feel? Make you feel really good. Put some emotion in that. And then just try that. And yet you write five, six, seven, eight affirmations, different areas of your life. You read it before you go to sleep at night and you'll watch. You'll watch how you how your life will change. Gradually, you'll see yourself in the way you want yourself to be. Plays into plays into what you think about you bring about. That, that's right, mm -hmm. man. You know, I'll share one other story I thought about that I think has bearing for, for this conversation. And I'd, I'd ask the participants to think about a time in their life when they were at a reunion, high school reunion, or maybe a, a, a wedding with some old friends, right? Now, if somebody comes over to you and says, you know, Nick, you said something to me 15 years ago that changed my life. You said this and that and made me think about, it, and I went into this path and I went and got my degree and, you know, and they bear their soul out to you, right? And you're standing there, Nick, you go, you don't remember a thing. You don't remember that. You know, you don't remember talking to that guy and giving him this advice, but it changed his life. 15, 20 years later, he comes back and tells you that. So how could that same event happen? And that person took it, used it, developed it, it was important to them, and you didn't even remember it. How, how, how could that happen? Because it was important to them at the well, time. another part of that, Nick, how many times did that event happen to them? It happened to you once. Right. It happened to them every time they thought about it. But that next week, the next month, the next year, every time they were working towards that goal, they thought, you know, they thought of that conversation. So to them, it's happened hundreds, not thousands of times. To you, it happened once. Mm -hmm. Same with your guys with their traumas, okay? How many times did their trauma happen? Well, it only happened once. But really, in reality, it happened every time they thought about it. So how do we change mm -hmm. that script? Right. And that's what you guys are, are experts in. But it just goes to go back to how we think, how many times we think, what we think about. It gets embedded on our cup, subconscious and then we react like that. So, you know, changing the subconscious is with affirmations and visualization. That's how you do it.
Rick, I got a question for you because a lot of people will say that I make things look easy or interactions, the way I live my life looks easy. There's nothing about it's been easy. Um, I've also shared pretty openly my my stumbles, my falls. Um, Lord knows I've I have uh, come up short in a lot of areas of my life. What is maybe one of the bigger stumbles, mistakes, however you want to word it in your life? And what did it teach you and how did you come out the other side of it? <laughs> how much time do we have, Nick? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. we, we can go bullet points. No. You don't have to get the whole story, but we can just get like, a general consensus because I can share some stories on yeah. my end that are brief. I know that, man, if I would have handled this differently or maybe I did, like my older kids are in their 20s. And now I have younger children. And I know there's areas or ways that I would have been different. Um, uh, and I think better as a dad, not that I was a bad dad, but definitely as a parent, you always look back and go, I could have done this different, should have done that different. Um, a, lot, a lot of things where <clears throat> you could be better and different. But, you know, and now I'm seeing it with my kids that are younger, I'm able to improve and be better from the learning the stuff that we do, a lot of life experience and and actual training has helped me be that better person. Is there something that it doesn't yeah. have to tie to our world? Something where you've had a moment where you're like, "Man, I really messed that one up," or "Wish I'd have done that different." And then, how did you come back from it? What what, what lesson would you give well, us? Um, I'll share the one uh, story that is linked to the story I talked about with my dad earlier. When uh, my dad went away, uh, my brothers were in foster homes, and my mother was still uh, still drinking and still um, uh, having challenges and having problems, right? So I built a real resentment to my mom for a lot of reasons. And uh, when my dad got out, he changed his life, and uh, we ended up all going into real estate. They did extremely well. and uh, But I still had a chip on my shoulder against my mom because I was the oldest child. I was the one always picked on. I was the one, uh, I mean, she had me arrested. She, I mean, she did things that were crazy, right? I had a lot of scars. So that was in my teens, 17, 18, 19. I'm 30 years old, and I met Lou Tice. I still didn't have a good relationship with my mom at all. And uh, even though we were around each other, I never really talked to her. I just, just still have these, you know, trauma memories. So Lou Tice, when I went to the Pacific Institute, convinced me that I got to change my self-talk. I got to find something well, good to focus on for my mom, or else I'm going to go through life with a chip on my shoulder. So I went back and I, I took time to think about something good. And you think, well, there must be a lot of things. Well, as a kid, I didn't think about a lot of good things. But I went back and I realized that I graduated from St. Bernadette's Catholic grade school, which I went all the way through eighth grade. And I got an award at the end of eighth grade. I had never missed a day of school. Perfect attendance. All my years in grade school and middle school. Now, you think about that, and I thought about that, and I thought, wow, my mother must have been doing something right. I never missed a day of school. I was never sick. She did not take me to school or, you know, so I put that down, and I said, I called my mom, and I said, Mom, I'm going to take you to dinner, and we're going to see a show at the Kennedy Center. So I got tickets to see a Catherine Hepburn show, and we went to dinner first. I said, Mom, I want to tell you I apologize for all these years. I've been really, you know, kind of stuck in the mud for the past 15 years. And I want to tell you, I love you. I remember what you did for me as a kid. And she cried, I cried, and got it out on the table. And uh, we became friends, again, close friends. And then uh, but 10 years later, she developed cancer and died. So I'm really glad I had 10 years to be able to bond with my mom after eliminating that trauma from my mind, like you guys teach, by thinking of things positive, things that were uplifting, things that I wanted to do and share with her. So there's this, there's one of my stories, Nick, of, uh, you know, how I dealt with an issue that was eating me for 10, 15 years. You don't have any clue as to how prophetic that example you just gave is. And I, there's, there's somebody very special in my life that I love dearly. That I really hope this person hears what you just said. And here's it from you, because I didn't know that story. And um, sorry, it gets me a little emotional, but you you probably couldn't have used a better story. Um, so thank you. Thank you well, for sharing that. Thanks, it means a lot. And Dan, you know, we have the power to, to go back and to uh, help and uh, rectify and uh, build bonds and build relationships. And that's what we're all about. 
uh, you know, what you guys are doing and I'm doing. And uh, obviously it starts with the person in their own personal circle, their own family and friends. And, uh, yeah. So don't let any more time go by, you know, about the grateful letter. You've, you guys know about writing a grateful letter, right? You've heard that story, right? Nick and Dan, you familiar with that? Yeah. Yep. Do that, do that grateful letter, call that person. So I want to come talk to you and read that letter. And, uh, after they cry and you cry, uh, you know, you'll build a nice bond again. So, yes, sir. Yeah, I don't know of anybody that's uh, <clears throat> gone to their deathbed going, man, I'm so glad I hated that person for so many years. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, it's life's short, and we all go through a lot of tough stuff. And I think the work that Dan and I have, the, the mission that we've been on, you know, the, at the crux of what we do is that we love people. You know, we, we want to set people free, and we know that people are doing the best they can with what they've got. I'm an example of that. Dan's an example of that. My wife, Sarah's an example of that. We, our parents are examples of that. And, and you know that the more you do this work, the more grace it allows you to have for other people. Because it, I've been, you know, my faith is near and dear to me, and I've been praying a lot lately to make me a more humble less judgmental person. And most people know me and say, I'm not judgmental. But when I start thinking back, there's been plenty of times where I will judge or say something. Dan walked me through EMP on resentment recently. I had no idea that that was the emotion I was holding on to. Um, <clears throat> and I wasn't taken out on specifically any one person, but I could feel it all the time. And the resentment when certain things or people or situations got brought up, I would, I speak passionately when I'm happy about something or just when I'm passionate about a topic to include if I felt wronged by something, like I would speak passionately. I wouldn't necessarily feel anger or anything, but there was resentment there. And, you know, it's, you don't realize what you're holding until you let it go or until you shift the pattern. And that the freeing feeling that you get, even like what you just explained, your story. I'll bet you felt a hundred pounds lighter and more free by having that conversation with your mom and going the other direction. It feels normal. It feels righteous. It feels justified when you're holding the negative emotion. But man, is it incredible how much better it feels when it's gone, when you're not holding it. And then the abundance that comes into your life, whatever that may be, I'm sure you could probably share a bunch more moments and just indelible moments of you and your mom over those 10 years you had with her that would just all of us would like be like oh man to sit there and listen for days because had that moment not happened you wouldn't have those moments and those are the ones that people go to their deathbed with regrets right and and if we're in a competition here any of the competitive people out there let's see you can take their last breath well into their older years with no regrets but my father was Irish. He used to say, you know, Irish Alzheimer's is they forget everything but the grudges. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, which, which is an interesting note, Nick, because, um, you know, the mission today for me is helping teenagers and, and, and college athletes because, you know, you saw the CDC report last year, 60% of girls in America thought of suicide last year, 60% of teenage girls in America thought of suicide. So the idea of being able to help these children at an early age change that self-talk. And, you know, uh, we work, uh, and you guys know this story, but I repeat it for our, our listeners. Uh, the Pacific Institute uh, went to Ireland to work with the Northern Ireland Troubles, to work with the IRA. And they're sitting in a room, Lou Tice is in a room with 250 members of the IRA who had been killing everybody for 30 years. And Lou asks them, what do you want Derry to be like? What do you want this town to be like? And they couldn't, they couldn't, elab they couldn't even discuss. They couldn't even think or talk about what they want the future to be because they're all so ginned up on the past. And so they came to the conclusion, it took a couple of months, that the only way they were going to have a pro a solving a problem in Northern Ireland was to start with the kids because the adults were too far gone. Their, their fathers or brothers or uncles had been murdered. So the Pacific Institute started the first three integrated schools in Northern Ireland, an elementary school, a middle school, and a high school. And I, I've been there. And you can walk through those aisles, and you wouldn't know the difference, but they know who's Catholic and who's Protestant. And they're in the same classrooms, but they're starting to learn. 
It's 30 years now. They haven't had a bomb in 30 years. There's 75 integrated schools in Northern Ireland now. And those kids grow up with at least a, a minimal positive expectation of what can happen in their life. And without going down the street, fearing that they're going to get shot by a Protestant or a Catholic. So in the big picture, you know, going out and having um, helping impact, uh, you guys are helping hundreds, if not thousands of people. We can help thousands, if not millions of people by going to the right places and helping an impact on that. What it's so simple, but what do you say to yourself? What do you, what are you talking? What are you self-talking? What are you thinking? So, you know, I encourage everybody. Uh, obviously we have a lot of veterans we need to help. I didn't realize there were 323 drug overdoses in the military in the past two years, 323 drug overdoses from, from enlisted military personnel. So there's a lot of self-esteem, self-image. Where does that come from? Why are they doing that? You know, not just the PTSD victims, but existing. So there's so many needs you guys are dealing with. Your your veterans, it's wonderful. Keep in mind, there's children who need this information as well. Yeah, Rick, what you're talking about with children, uh, I, Dan knows this. We both love working with kids. I absolutely adore seeing teenagers and, and younger kids flip yep. the switch and be in a better place. Um, I have three daughters myself, two sons. I would tell you that if you're a parent and you're listening to the show, generally what we do when parents come to us and like, oh, you got to fix my kid. They've got really bad anxiety. And I say, well, how bad's your anxiety? Oh my God, it's through the roof. How'd you know? Well, shocker, right? So we know that there's a lot of learned behavior from mom and dad. What I want to share though, is if you want your teenage child to find a path, right? You're worried, you're nervous for them. They're exhibiting tough things. They go through our program with Anxiety Guys and they go through the Pacific Institute's program. It's like peanut butter and jelly. The one-two punch, that kid is going to come out, it literally could change their entire life trajectory. And in the the amount of cost that ends up being in that is so minimal that it's it's... It's just crazy. And knowing what I know now, like I would make it mandatory. If I could, I would make it mandatory. Your children going into high school or in high school, they need to come through our program and Pacific Institute. And again, this is where the question though comes into, you'll have kids that are at effect. And that's where we can get them, you know, collectively what we do, get them from at effect to at cause. But you also, some, I would say majority of the time you want to work with the parents too. Because mm. generally kids who have parents that are, very much on the same page. Um, and I'm going to share this not to toot my horn because it has nothing to, to do with this, but I had a teacher one time say to us at, at the kids' school they were going to in Georgia, your kids are so well-behaved. They're so respectful. Your kids are amazing. Now, these aren't people that have known us for years. We were the new people in town. And, you know, we're down south. We grew up in New England. So I'm thinking, our kids? The New England kids? You know, I love my <laughs> kids. You know, I'm, to me, my kids are the best. But I thought about it and quickly responded to her. I said, you know, I, I think that the credit goes to the fact that the kids have two parents at home who co-parent are on the same page. They communicate well with their children, their structure, and the kids are safe. And it's consistent day in, day out. We don't argue about things. Like if we have an issue with the kids, we talk privately. The kids see a unified front. And she goes, oh, my God, could you tell the rest of our parents that? And I said, well, that's not quite fair because all your parents of these other children are doing the best they can with what they got. They might not have grown up with good parents themselves. So they're trying to break some of the cycle, but they still have their own schisms to where they, they don't realize that thing they're saying. They're trying to be tough on their kids so they play good ball. What they don't realize is their kids going to bed at night going, I'm horrible. I suck. Dad hates me whatever it is, and, and those little tweaks that we can have on that generation, that next generation, man, I don't know. I, I, I'm excited. I think that really that, that we've been brought together for a bigger purpose that's going to still yet to reveal itself. But the children aspect and getting with kids and families and healing them, that's where it starts. And I think that's where some of the sick, twisted stuff that's going on in our society right now, they go directly towards kids because they're at that programmable impressionable years. And if we can flip the script on that, look out, we can build a generation of kids with superpowers. Absolutely, Nick. It ought to be in every school. And uh, we're going to, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. So yeah, man. Well, uh, 
you guys, uh, you're doing an awesome job. I'm, I'm so glad to be associated with you. Um, let me know if there's anything else I can do. Um, I know, uh, you know, we could talk for another couple of hours. I'm fine if you guys want to go a little bit, but, uh, you know, whatever, whatever works for you guys. I'm so happy for what you're doing. And by the way, for people who are interested, our, our website is, uh, AchievingWell-Being.com. They can learn about the Pacific Institute's programs and how to get in touch with us and see what we can do to help. So, uh, yeah, we're uh, we're excited. We got a great group of people that's helping spread this word around. You guys are part of that, and we're really proud to be associated with you guys too. So, thank you. Well, Rick, thank you for the time and the energy that you're putting into making this world better than the way you found it. I think that's our goal too. Um, there's definitely some things that are going to be coming forward in the future that we want to be able to work with you guys on. Um, you're a great American. Appreciate your service to the country. Appreciate your service to your community. And we hope to have you back on another episode. Nick, you want to say anything? Final words? Yeah, I, I, Rick, I just want to say thank you, man. That you have made my life better. Um, you've, you've really helped mm-hmm. some of the people that are in my direct circle that I care deeply for. And uh, we'll definitely look forward to having you on a, another episode. I'd like to... You know, I, I would have one more question sure. for you. Is there a book or something that you've read or a piece of information that you would recommend our audience go read? Maybe it has nothing to do with us, anxiety guys, or your business. Was something that impacted you in your life that was like, hey, you guys should check this well, out? I'll give you two. Uh, the first one is a book called Flourish, which I know you know about that. That's Dr. Martin Seligman. He is the best in the world at doing uh, positive psychology, teaching and training and research. He's at the University of Pennsylvania. He's one of the most respected guys in the world. He's written a book called Flourish, which a lot of what we talked about is incorporated in there. Uh, The second thing is a simple short story, and it's called The Necklace. And it's written by Guy de Passant. And it's a wonderful short story about self-talk. And it'll, it'll blow you away, blew me away. I don't know. I've mentioned it before. It's only probably about a 15-minute read, but it's called The Necklace. It's a wonderful uh, story, short story, has a great, powerful message. And uh, when you guys read it, uh, give me an email, let me know how you liked it. And then the book Flourish, that's a that's a Bible. That's a book you're going to read with a highlighter and an underliner because you're going to keep it around uh, about uh, for the rest of your life about you know how to flourish in life. Not just be happy, but how do I flourish? And those are the those are the two I'd recommend, Nick. Thanks for the, the question. That was a, was a great answer, and I appreciate the honesty. Appreciate you going deep on your personal life, where you took you, and um, and I, I look forward to setting more free so they can feel the heal. You're the man. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We hope you've enjoyed stories of the mental margarita and hearing how others got to feel the heal. If you want to know more or work with us, you can head over to our website, anxietyguys.com. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us however you're listening to the podcast and leave us a review. That helps more people in need find the healing they deserve. We'll talk to you again in the next episode. Until next time, thank you for being a part of our tribe and joining the emotional revolution.